This episode contains real, narrated experiences. Listener discretion is advised. Good evening, and welcome back. I'm your host, Chad. This week, I'm bringing you four true, horrifying, pulse-pounding tales that will chill you to the bone. It's that time again to face your fears. Where nightmares become reality. So brace yourself. This is Disturbed. We find ourselves another week closer to the scariest holiday of the year. And we're cooking up something for the week of Halloween that I think you're really going to enjoy. Tonight, our first experience comes courtesy of Reddit user Pumpkin Spice Whatever, and I'm proud to introduce our newest narrator, Emery Mika. One summer long ago, I worked for a house painting company made of many small franchises preying on college students for underpaid and overworked employees. Said indentured servants, workforce, generally returned to school in late August, and the franchise would close until next summer. I was a lackey who hired everyone, formed crews, met with customers, transported materials, etc., A.K.A. my boss's job, but he preferred, you know, not doing it. Late in the summer, my boss decided to continue into the fall months so he could make more money while depriving me even further of the will to live. So I had to hire people who were in the painting business, but for whatever reason couldn't find a job with a reputable company and so had no option but to work with us. Yay. Enter Jim. Jim was a veteran, about 45 years old, which was far above my usual 18 to 22 hiring demographic, but had impressed me over the phone. As I was essentially painting entire houses myself or with a skeleton crew until I could scrounge up more workers, I didn't interview him in person, just told him to show up ready to go and meet me and a crew at a new job site 9 a.m. Monday. Life happens as it does, and I had a family emergency that prohibited me from being there on Monday. Some of my summer workers who didn't go off to school would be there, 
so I texted them explaining to help Jim get used to the way we worked and make sure to keep it basic. If he was having trouble, and he'd start over with me there the next day. 9.45 a.m. My phone is blown up with texts and calls. I'm at a wake, but I slip outside to hiss into the phone. I'm staring at a dead family member, and you know this. Now what? Jim? Jim isn't okay. What do you mean? He's fucking insane. He's ruining this person's roof, and he won't listen to us. He keeps screaming at us to shut the fuck up. Well, I thought Jim had a point with the last part, since my crew spent more time talking than painting. But I digress. In their infinite wisdom, my crew stuck this new dude up on the roof to paint a teeny space, which would take about five minutes with a brush. Homeboy pulls out a nine-inch roller and goes to town, swooping the thing up and down like a skateboard on a halfpipe, so the entire black roof area below him is covered in beige paint. I tell him to get down and send him home. I'll deal with it after the wake. I tell my boss what's going on. He brushes it off, saying that Jim called him to apologize and tell him he could bring his cousin, Oscar, a guy who's apparently worked as a painter in a union, to the next job. Boss doesn't consult me, says it's fine, and I have to deal. Great. New job site, new day. I still hate my life. Oscar isn't in a union, but he did work as a painter for over a decade, until he was put in jail for armed robbery, a jail stint that he was fresh out of as of a week ago. To Oscar's credit, he was very polite, respectful, and deferent. Yes, bow before me. I had asked to speak with him alone before I let him set foot on my job site, and he was completely upfront about his jail time and what led to it, answering any questions I had. I was convinced, and he did an excellent job. My boss stopped by for the first time in forever and was also impressed by Oscar. So impressed that he decided Oscar and Jim would take on a job by themselves. A job that was mostly trim work for a family of mom, pop, and three daughters, 15, 11, and 7. He also decided that he would take care of all of the customer interaction, with the exception of me dropping off the extra-tall ladder halfway through to reach one ridiculously small but very high piece. Sure, fine. Halfway through the job, two days in, I show up like a good peon, massive ladder in tow. Jim is listening to music, and I see Oscar furtively look at him, then wave to me to keep driving and park around the corner. I love me some drama, don't care about anything anymore, so I do. Oscar sprints to my car and tells me that Jim has been making the owners and their daughters very uncomfortable, and my boss had been ignoring their calls. Oscar had told them privately to wait until the day I came and he would make sure I talked to them. I thanked Oscar told him I would deal with it right then, and requested he hang around and proceed as if everything is fine in case I needed his assistance in any capacity. I pulled into the driveway, nodded at Jim, and knocked on the door. I was pulled in almost immediately by a frantic, and hot, mother, so I was treated to a deluge of information I could mostly understand, but the rest made me think Red from Orange is the New Black found out I didn't like her food. Apparently, Jim had been very 
opportunistic about his ladder positions as he worked on the second floor of the house, and they were conveniently always able to see directly into the girls' bedrooms, which he took pictures of on his phone. He also made multiple comments to the girls as they came home from school that were a sizable step over the line of pedophilia, but a freaking football field past the line of how you speak to a customer or their kids, period. Massively inappropriate, sexual innuendos, the works. I managed to keep myself from melting into the floor and promise them that this will be dealt with immediately. With that, I walk out to confront Jim. I ask if I can use his phone because mine is dead. And after he hands it over, I find almost a hundred pictures of the various bedrooms from every angle possible, zoomed in, etc. He sees me open the pictures from his position on the ladder and starts flying down and screaming at me. He launches at me and Oscar puts himself between us, yelling at Jim to calm down. Jim panics and flees for his car, leaving his phone with me. Police were called and I hand the phone over, was interviewed. Poor Oscar almost had a panic attack, but they said they would work with the family and take it from there. Great. I finished the job with Oscar, we get tipped, and the family thanked us for our role in helping them, as they really didn't know how to handle what Jim was doing. Time passes, and I'm home watching TV in the living room. It's about 9 p.m. Light floods the room as a car pulls up in my neighbor's driveway with its brights on. I don't care. I continue watching TV. A few minutes pass, and I hear yelling from my neighbor's house. I look out the window, and it's Jim's car in their driveway. Because my boss had given him my home address as where to pick up the checks at the end of each week. He got confrontational, yelling at the neighbors, where was I? When really, all he had to do was turn around to see my idiotic, slack-jawed face staring out the window about six feet away. Then he pulled out a handgun and started motioning at the wife. Before I can even register this is actually happening, or grab my own gun, which I would have heroically used to shoot myself in the foot or something. My living room is filled with red and blue lights, as multiple police cars pull up and consequently arrest Jim. Jim had four guns in the passenger seat of his car, one of which was an AR-15 and another shotgun. He apparently had only taken one out to wave over his head, leaving the other three in the car because he wasn't 100% sure which house was mine. My neighbors are elderly, nosy, snarky, and call the cops on any and everything of little to no consequence. They called as soon as his beater car pulled up in their driveway, and their knee-jerk 911 reaction likely saved my life. Let's not meet again, Jim. Also, you suck at painting. Now, our next experience teaches us that no matter where you are, there might be someone watching. This experience comes to us from Reddit user bmoss28, with narration by our own 
Caroline Sweet. This was back in the 90s, when our only option was a landline phone and dial-up internet. I was around eight, nine years old when my mom started leaving me at home with my oldest brother while she went to work. My brother was much older, around 17 at the time. As most teenage boys, his favorite thing to do was sleep really late during the day and stay up all night playing games. PlayStation 1. Don't come for me. I'm getting old. I remember being bored playing with my Barbies in the living room of the house with the blinds wide open to let some light in and save on electricity. I would sit there for hours and play. When mom was gone, she always told us to answer the phone when it rang in case she was calling to check in on us and make sure we were okay. I remember one day specifically. I answered the phone and just heard loud breathing on the other end of the phone. I kept saying, hello, but no one would reply. So eventually, I would hang up. This went on daily for about two months, and it was always in the morning time when my brother was asleep. Being a naive eight, nine-year-old girl, I didn't think anything of it. And eventually, the calls stopped. A few months go by, and I'm sitting in the living room floor again, when the phone rings. I hear the same breathing again, and say, Hello? Who is this? To my surprise, a man replies, and says, Hello, kitten. Do you remember me? I remember being surprised that he called me kitten, but replying that he had the wrong number. This is where it gets creepy. He then replies, No, kitten, I have the right number. You're wearing a kitty shirt right now. I remember looking down and immediately panicking and hanging up the phone when I see a tabby kitten on my shirt. The phone then rings again and I refuse to answer it. I run to wake my brother and he sleepily follows me to the living room. The phone rings again and he answers it, but no one is there. He then unplugs the phone and tells me that it's just my imagination and to leave him alone so he can sleep. Being scared, I decided to close the windows and sit on the couch until my mom got home that afternoon. That night, I told my mom what happened but my brother told her I was making it up and that he didn't see or hear anything. I think my mom believed me, but she just told me to hang up the phone if it wasn't her and to never open the door for a stranger. I agreed and told her I wouldn't. That next day, my mom was off work and she took me to the store with her. We were walking around when I noticed a man in a long trench coat. I thought the coat was weird, but didn't really think anything else of it. We then ran into one of my mom's friends, who has a daughter my age. My mom and her friend were chatting away, and me and my friend were standing a few feet from them, messing with some birthday cards. We went around to the other side of the cards to look, out of sight from our moms. Suddenly, the man with the trench coat 
is right near us, looking at cards too. He then picks up a card and turns to me and my friend and says hello. Being polite, we respond, hello. He then starts picking up cards saying he's getting his daughter something and asks what we like. My friend points to a random card and he smiles and says that it's nice. He then picks up another card and shows it to us. The card has kittens all over it. And he looks directly at me and says, I'm sure you like kittens, don't you? I didn't really know how to respond and remember feeling extremely nervous. He smiled when he saw me getting nervous and says, Kittens and Barbies. This kicked my fight or flight into action at the young age of eight, nine. I nervously laughed and said we had to go back to our moms now. The man then reaches out and grabs my arm. My friend takes off running around the corner to get my mom. The man tries to pull me to the front of the store, but I kick him as hard as I can and go flying out of his grip. He then gets up and runs out the door about the same time my mom makes it over to me. The police are called and a report is filed. To my knowledge, they never found the man, but my mom was extremely paranoid after that. After hearing the link between the phone calls and the incident, and she found a new house in the city right over from us, not even a month later. Thankfully, that was the last time I heard from him. So, all I can really say is, Kitten Man, let's not meet again. If you enjoy what you're hearing, consider supporting us through our Patreon fan club. Members enjoy perks like shoutouts, 24-hour early access to new episodes, merch store discounts, ad-free listening, and bonus episodes of Disturbing Calls. Find out more at patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast, or find the link at the top of the show notes. We often get that feeling in strange situations that something just isn't quite right. That's a feeling that can possibly save your life. Coming in with our next experience, we hear from Reddit user DrunkBrownsFan. And I'm proud to introduce our newest narrator, Tom Aglio. I'm a longtime lurker slash reader to this subreddit, but I actually have a story I think belongs here. This is a 100% true story, and it may be a little long, so I'm sorry about that. So about four years ago, I had an unbelievably creepy encounter in the parking lot of a 24-hour Walmart. So at the time, I'm a 20-year-old male going to school and working at a restaurant in my town. One of my best friends and I collect Hot Wheels, 24-hour Walmarts are gold mines for collectible Hot Wheels, 
At night, they have all the boxes for inventory they need to unload just out in the open. So my buddy and I would go down there, open the boxes for them, and put them on the shelves, which allowed us to sort through the boxes first, and we could find the rare cars. It was a win-win for the workers and for us, and we did it often, to the point when we knew the days they got their shipments. One day, him and I head down to Walmart on our usual trip. We get there, go through everything, and there wasn't much that day. I had two cars and he had three. We go and check out and leave. Now, one thing about Hot Wheels is they're in these plastic boxes glued to a cardboard back card. Basically, what this means is we never put the cars in bags when we left because sometimes they would get bent and that severely affects their value. So here's me and my buddy walking out of Walmart at 1am with just a couple Hot Wheels in our hands. As we walk to my car, a run-down mid-2000s Honda Accord, this guy walks straight up to us from literally out of nowhere. I put that in caps because I cannot stress this dude literally appeared out of thin air. We're like the only car in the parking lot. The guy looked normal but gave off a super creepy vibe. I've known my friend for years and we both looked at each other with those something isn't right here look in our eyes. The guy basically explains his minivan's battery died and he really needs to jump because he has to get home. Gives us this whole story, I have to get my daughter to school tomorrow, blah blah blah. The weird part about it is, his minivan was all the way in the back of the parking lot, in a pitch black area with the side door wide open. I immediately say, hey, sorry man, but I don't have jumper cables, so I can't help. He then explains to us that it isn't an issue, he's got cables. My buddy gets agitated at this point and kind of snaps at the guy, telling him, look man, we're tired, we just got off work, leave us alone, sorry, but we can't help. The guy gets irate and screams at us, you guys have to help me, stop being inconsiderate, calling us all these names. It was honestly crazy. So in my wisdom, I say, hey man, no problem, our bad, I'll give you a jump, I'll drive over to you. I hop in my car and I just start driving away. Not like speeding out of the parking lot, just driving normal. That's when I look out the rear view mirror and I see this man full-blown sprinting to his van. I kind of paused for a second to see what he would do and he closes his side door, hops in the driver's seat, and turns on the car and starts driving. So now I'm like, alright, goodbye, I'm out of here, and I fly out of this parking lot to get onto a main road. The minivan speeds out of the parking lot and looked like it was trying to follow us, but if I'm being honest, I wasn't going anywhere close to the speed limit. I mean, I was flying down the road. I pulled up to a red light, and I could see him in the distance, and he just did a U-turn and drove the other way. I called 911. They basically told me, hey, sounds crazy, but there's nothing we can do. Just be safe next time. Don't talk to strangers, etc. Fast forward two weeks and there was a double homicide in the same Walmart parking lot committed by a guy driving a white minivan at about the same exact time we were there. I know for a fact the dude wasn't casing us for a robbery. We were two young kids with Hot Wheels in our hands. Not exactly prime targets for a robbery. I'm positive that it was that same guy and I'm pretty sure we were his first targets we just got away. They never caught the guy, and I don't really go to that Walmart anymore, unless I really need something and it's the only open place. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. 
Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. It's also the same reason I carry a firearm on me at all times now. I know that was long, but it's definitely the creepiest encounter I've ever had, and I think frequently about how it could have played out differently for me. You need to be vigilant of your surroundings, and you need to have some sort of protection on you. Ladies, keys in between your fingers is a common tactic, but think about it. Is that really going to stop somebody if they're determined enough? I'm not advocating for everyone carrying firearms, but you definitely need some sort of powerful protection for yourself. This didn't happen in some bad area of town. And without giving too much away, if you were to picture a place where a robbery, kidnapping, murder would happen in a parking lot, this would be the last place on your mind. Just understand that these people are real. They exist and they live among us. It is our own personal responsibility to stay vigilant and protect ourselves. Stay safe, everyone, and please keep your eyes open for something out of the ordinary. And here we are, nearing the end of this week's episode, but we're not done yet. Stick around after this brief sponsor break to hear our final terrifying tale of the evening. This episode of Disturbed was made possible by BetterHelp. We discuss some seriously disturbing things on this podcast. That's why we've partnered with BetterHelp. Are you feeling stressed, anxious, overwhelmed? BetterHelp Online Counseling can help. They assess your needs and match you with a licensed therapist. Connect in a safe, private, online environment. It's convenient, affordable, and you'll be matched with a counselor within 24 hours. You'll have access to video sessions, phone calls, live chat, and messaging. Every counselor on BetterHelp is licensed by the respective state and has over 3,000 hours of experience. BetterHelp counselors address depression, relationship issues, family conflict, and more. 
Right now, they're offering Disturbed listeners a special discount. Visit BetterHelp.com Disturbed and use code Disturbed at checkout to receive 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com Disturbed and join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. This episode was also made possible by State Bags. State Bags makes beautiful, well-made, inclusively cool products while using the power of business to give back to shift the narrative around social injustice. For every State Bag purchased, State hand-delivers a backpack packed with essential tools for success to an American child in need, but their commitment goes beyond simply a material donation. State Bags has your back. And part of that commitment is making a difference in local kids' lives. To get you ready for your commute or wherever you're traveling next, State is offering our listeners 15% off their next purchase at statebags.com using code POD. That's 15% off your next purchase using code POD, P-O-D, at statebags.com. State Bags, they have your back. And finally, this episode was made possible by Hunt a Killer, Blair Witch Edition. Experience the supernatural forces of the Blair Witch like never before in this narrative-driven psychological thriller. Every month, you'll receive a new box of clues, documents, and ciphers that get you closer to the truth. Uncover the history of Burkittsville in this Blair Witch tabletop role-playing game. Work together with your friends or go it alone to overcome the malevolent forces in this terrifying experience from the makers of Hunt a Killer. Right now, as a disturbed listener, you can receive 20% off your first box by visiting huntakiller.com slash blairwitch and use code disturbed at checkout. Again, that's huntakiller.com slash blairwitch and use code disturbed for 20% off your first box. And come find out why over 10,000 members can't get enough of the challenge and the thrill. And with that, we've reached our final experience of the evening. As most of us know, the internet can be very helpful and sometimes it's just the right tool for a predator to set his plan in motion. This experience comes courtesy of Reddit user Miss Renee, with narration by our own Aaron Lillis. And stick around after this story for a little something special from Aaron. This is something that was super traumatic for me, but it was never discussed again in my household. I was talking with my mom about it the other night, and she still didn't say much. Thought I would share my thoughts with you all. When I was 13, I got a Dell desktop for school. The internet was fairly new for me back in 2003. AOL and MySpace, Yahoo Messenger, AOL chat rooms, 16 female Cali, anyone? AOL chat rooms was where I went. I was a shy, overweight kid back then. Still shy to this day. But online, 
Online, I could be anyone. I could say anything. It was amazing. I discovered so many things when I got the internet. If I could be anyone, so could someone else. Thus, how I met one 27-year-old man. One night, I logged on. The AOL dial-up sound still makes me feel uneasy. I was sitting in my cold, dark kitchen. The computer was here so I could be monitored. It was just me and my mom, though, and she was always working. So no one ever really monitored me. Plus, she had no idea how to use a computer, so I got away with a lot. I was bored, so I hopped into an AOL chat room, lurked for a bit, then 15 female here. I was really 13, but saying I was 15 made me feel so much more mature. Private message incoming. Hey, my name is Rob. Where are you from? And that's how it started. I told him where I was from, that I was in high school. Which wasn't a lie. My school was from 7th to 12th grade. You? 19, male New York. Oh man, was it cool to be talking to an older guy. And boy, was he cute. Honestly, I don't really remember much. Maybe I blanked it out. Maybe my memory is just shot. I do remember emails back and forth. The occasional phone call. I remember finding out he was talking to another girl and I wanted to break things off. But he begged and pleaded until I caved. Then the let's meet. I was nervous. He had never asked for a pic, had never really asked for much from me, just the emails back and forth. A phone call a day. But somehow he made me feel safe, made me feel wanted, cared for. He drove from New York to West Virginia one day. My mom worked right beside my house, so he parked about a quarter mile away and took the back alley to enter my house. My friend was with me when he showed up, but was scared when she seen him and ran out the back door. I maybe should have taken a hint from that, but I just stood on the back porch with my head down, was given a hug as he led me inside. Not five minutes after being there, sitting on the couch, did he move things further, then further even, into my bedroom. I won't get into the details on what happened next. I assume most can guess. After that, he left with instructions to get in his car after I got off the school bus and we will go on a date. I had no idea where he was staying. I lived extremely far in the country, an hour's drive from the closest hotel. The next day, I get ready for school, ride the bus for the 45-minute drive, and as soon as I hop off in the school parking lot, I get directly into his car. No one noticed. No one said anything. We drive around. Never go on a date. He just finds different places to park so that he can use me. I notice a photo of another young girl, 15 or 16, in the visor of his car. Question him. Believe when he tells me it's his cousin. Believe when I question why his hairline is receding so much. Believe him when he tells me I can't see his driver's license because he left it in the hotel. Believed him when he said he loved me. I get dropped back off at school. Super sad that he was going back home, with promises he will call. Again, Everything feels very fuzzy. I can't remember many emotions from this time. I do remember that a few days later, my mom says she found out I skipped school with a man, that I was never to see him again, and that was that. I do remember sending an email. I do remember a late night phone call. I do remember saying, I wish I could just live with you. I remember him suggesting to come get me. I remember saying, okay. Days later, by the time he made the drive again, I was feeling iffy about leaving my mom. I loved her, after all. I didn't think things through. I didn't put much thought into anything, really. Packed a few clothes in a suitcase, 
forgot all underwear. That is one of my sharpest memories. I felt bad that he drove eight hours to get me, so I left in the middle of the night, got in the car with him and his cousin. He got in the back seat with me, proceeded to have sex with me while his cousin drove, then gets back in the front seat. This happened a few times between my home and his. The drive took forever. I had nothing to drink, was offered nothing when they got something. They stopped to nap at a rest stop, and I attempted to collect call my mom, which was disabled on our phone. I dug around for some change to get something to drink, but couldn't afford anything in the convenience store. So I drank out of the truck stop sink. Hours later, we park a block away from his house while he runs to get something. I am sitting in the back seat, waking up from a nap, when around eight or so men and women in black suits surround the car, screaming for us to get our hands up. My first thought, shit, first 10 minutes in New York and I'm already being robbed. I am terrified. I get out and a man pulls me over to the curb while the other officers force his cousin onto the ground. All the while they are asking my name and age, telling me to tell his cousin my age. I am put in the back of an unmarked car, driven to the NYPD, past reporters, cameras, news trucks, snuck into the back of the station, where I see Rob in handcuffs for the first time. And for the in-love 14-year-old me, this is devastating. I am taken into a room and questioned for hours. I am then taken to the hospital, then a hotel, where a nice woman brings me Taco Bell and stays with me as I fall asleep. The next day, two FBI officers escort me home on a plane, where I get off and where I am greeted by police officers, my mom, and a horde of news reporters. I later found out that when my mom reported me missing, the police didn't want to do much. They didn't even take the picture of me. She had had his license plate number. She remembered seeing his car parked by the road that first meeting. She took notes since it was an out-of-state car. Thanks to her being vigilant, I do find that this is the only reason I am alive today. The police said they would look into it, but that wasn't enough for my mom. She contacted a family friend who, in turn, contacted the governor of West Virginia, who, in turn, made the police look further into it. After that, they ran the license number, looked into the man, found out who he was. That was when they issued an Amber Alert, noting that I was in extreme danger. My cousin told my mom that he looked at Rob's rap sheet and it was a mile long, but wouldn't tell my mother what was on it for fear of scaring her more. I never went to court. I never went to any hearings, but I did fall into a horrible depression. My friend's parents wouldn't let them hang out with me. People spray-painted slut on my locker at school. I had no friends, but most of all, I thought a man was in prison for loving me. When I learned he got sentenced to 10 years in prison, which he served every year of, I became deeply troubled. I was in and out of the mental hospital for self-harm for years, on a slew of depression medication. Psychiatrists never talked to me about anything. I had to process it all myself. My teenage years were better, though. I transferred schools, made best friends, graduated, but still in the back of my mind, I felt that I was a reason a man lost 10 years of his life, until I was told he was let out of prison. A couple of years after he was out, I contacted him on Facebook. At the time, I was around 24 or 25. He told me that if I ever contacted him again, he would kill both me and my mother, that he still knows where I live. I had no idea what he planned to do with me. My mom still says selling me to a sex trafficker. I was told that he had other girls my age he was talking to. Some good things happened because of my kidnapping. Schools all over my state started internet safety education classes. 
Kids were taught safety. Parents were taught how to keep kids safe. No other girls were taken by this man. So to the man who ruined so many years of my life, I am 29 now, I am happy, healthy, and I have zero remorse that you are now listed as a level 3 sex offender and that you were in prison for so many years. To all the women and men who have commented that they experienced something similar, experienced being naive, been taken advantage of, thought that the internet was safe back then, my heart goes out to each and every one of you. But I am also proud of you, proud that you overcame it, that you are still here today. A lot of people don't understand how intoxicating it can be to have someone older and experienced interested in you. How that feeling of falling prey to someone lingers with you always. If you have kids, check what they are doing online. You may trust them, but don't trust the creeps that linger. They are out there. While your kid might be smart and you know they would never do anything crazy, it never ever hurts to check. Before we go, a little change of pace. Our very own Erin Lillis, inspired by her nieces and nephews that had trick-or-treating canceled this year, decided to put together a special, kid-friendly, spooky special as a Halloween night alternative. Horror writers, voice actors, artists, and sound designers from all around the audio drama universe answered her call and volunteered their efforts as well. Look for the No Nap podcast in your favorite podcatcher. And here's a short teaser. Coming this Halloween 2020. My mother always told me to stay out of Maple Woods. I have a new batch of my world-famous cookies almost ready. A long time ago, before even your grandparents were born. We will come back for me. I must be brave and wait. A cheery, dreary, gross and ghastly Halloween special just for kids. But I got scared by the monster and now I can't get home. I've got a bad feeling about this. The smell of wood and wet earth met his nostrils from the freshly churned mulch. The shadows have come to keep you company. But maybe we can stop by on Halloween night? The No Nap Podcast. This episode of Disturbed was mixed and produced by yours truly. And that electrifying, spine-tingling score you heard is courtesy of White Bat Audio, Co.ag, and Kevin Hartnell. Special thanks to all the contributing narrators and submitters of these stories. You'll find all the relevant links in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.